do, 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 do. <laughs> that was great, especially in honor of our guest this week. Really? You know, hitting all the, hitting all the bases, I guess. Welcome back to Sorry We're Open. <clears throat> I'm Lindsay. And I'm Jess. And this is episode 11. Woo! Sorry both of our voices sound like garbage. I know, and that's really bad since I have to, you know, have a public speaking engagement today. <laughs> it's going to be great. She's um currently sucking on a cough drop. I'm going to drink a cup of tea. It's all going to be fine. Spoonful of honey. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to stop at Starbucks when I go get new shoes. That's a good one. Which is what I'm doing after this. <laughs> what kind of shoes do you need, I meant to ask? I need, like, business shoes. Oh, okay. You know. Yeah. All right, Lens, what's your life update? Um, That I'm super excited to go home. <laughs> well, this will come out when you've already been home. Right, so I'm really excited that I've been home. <laughs> um, But I want to talk about, like, one of my favorite things. Because, uh, well, we're recording it today on my brother's birthday, but... When you hear this, this is weird, but whatever. When you hear this, um, on Sunday, we always do like a, like a brunch for my brother's birthday. Oh. And so we have like French toast casserole and like it's freaking incredible. We have um, like quiche and like we have this fancy egg dish and melt away and all this like dessert and stuff. And like, it's really cute because I always love doing like a brunch, but we've done it every year for the past God knows how many years. So that's so cute. That's like my favorite thing. Well, HBD. Yeah. <laughs> Does he listen? Definitely not. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, you can't win them all. Maybe I'll tell him to listen the first, like, five minutes of this episode. <laughs> my life update is that I am going to Utah over winter break. What? <laughs> my best friend Julia has a house in Utah, so we just YOLO'd it, and we're going to ski in Utah over winter break. <laughs> That's so fucking exciting. I'm so excited. Also, I had my first experience, like, buying a flight for myself. <gasps> I've always, like, my mom has always, like, done it for family yeah. vacations or, like, if I've gone with other people. Like, this is the first time that, like, I had to sit there and, like, buy the flight, pick the seat, like, pick the time. And, like, I'm flying with uh, my friend Amanda. So we were, like, on FaceTime trying to do it together. <laughs> and, like, I was like, wow, is this what being an adult is like? Buying your own your own flight. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> also, this morning I burnt my ear on my curling iron and it hurts so bad under these headphones. <laughs> That's just a side note. <laughs> side note, yeah. But I'm really looking forward to Utah. Um, I've only skied out west when I was a kid, so I don't really remember it. So it'll be the first winter I don't go to Vermont, but I'm going to Utah, so it's like kind I of feel like, like a, I feel like it's better to be I honest. Agree. I'm very excited. <laughs> I don't know anything about skiing because I've never skied in my entire life, but I know that skiing out west is you've never skied. No, because I feel like that's like a thing people do when they grow up. It's it's a family thing, you know. It is a family. thing. You, you grow up skiing. I never grew up skiing. We, we're not winter people. <laughs> Maybe I'll teach you, Lens. I'll get okay. you on the bunny slope. Okay. I've skied my whole life, so okay. I've never, I don't remember being bad at it. That's why I didn't want to take on snowboarding, because I didn't <laughs> like falling. <laughs> I don't remember being bad at skiing. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, Lens, what's our next segment? Keg stands. All right, so this week on keg stands, we're going to talk about a very important topic. Highly important. <laughs> I feel like every topic we talk about on keg stands is highly important. Highly important. <laughs> um... It's, uh, what is a good first date food? Me and Lindsay really kind of differ on this. Last time we discussed this, we did differ on this. Okay, so. so. Linz, what is your, like, perfect date food? I feel like sushi is really easy to eat. And I f well, actually, mm, you have to, like, shove the whole thing you in your mouth. You're literally shoving a full piece of sushi Fuck. in your mouth. Um, also, a lot, it's, I feel like sushi is one of those things where, like, you either love it or hate it. There's no, like, middle road where you're like, oh, 
So she's fine. Right, like, right. So you can't ever really ask somebody out. To- because can you imagine if you ask someone out, you're like, hey, let's get sushi. And they're like, I hate sushi. And you're like, fuck, shit. Also, okay. that's a pretty bad sign. I love sushi. <laughs> so that's, so exactly. You shouldn't be going on a date with them anyway. Yeah, no sushi. All right. Wait, no. uh, I don't know. Okay, so my ideal first date food is tacos. That's such a messy fucking food. No, it what? is not. Yes, it is. You can't eat a taco neatly? No. So I love tacos personally. <laughs> and the reason I pick tacos is because of the things that surround tacos. One, guacamole and chips. Not that hard to eat. They're a great snack food. Good conversation. Oh, look how good this guacamole is. Like, we can discuss guacamole in depth. Two, most Mexican restaurants also come with dank margaritas. I know, I know, I know you love your margaritas. I really love my margaritas. <laughs> so then, that's like a recipe for success. Then you order a taco, two, three tacos, and the little, very good and bite-sized. It like I'm not talking about like a burrito. I'm talking about a nice dainty taco. I know, but tacos are never dainty if you're doing them right. I disagree. I've had dainty tacos before, and they're delicious. <laughs> But see, another thing is, with Mexican, you're just going to shit your brains out later. So, like, God forbid, not God forbid, if this date went anywhere, you know, you just be shitting your brains out later. I cannot believe you just said that. <laughs> Am I wrong? Tell no. me that I'm wrong. No. That doesn't happen with good Mexican. That happens with, like, Chipotle. It's beans. If you have any sort of bean. Okay, well, I don't get beans in my tacos. You have to be, you have to think about these things. Like. Uh, all right, so I said tacos. What's your ideal first date food? I'm going to be honest. Like, the ambiance around Mexican Mexican food is really great. Yes, yeah, such I, good ambiance. I agree. I'm going to say, like... Well, let's talk about... Burgers, messy as fuck. Like, you can't eat a burger neatly. Yeah, burgers are not cute. Um, Any kind of noodle you're slurping, it's... Okay, I just feel like noodles are so good that I could almost look past it. <laughs> if a guy was like, hey, can I take you to this really good, like, faux place? I'd be like, yeah. Okay. I okay. love soup noodles in any form. <laughs> I was okay. like, I'd love to go that. All right. So okay. okay. Well, actually, any kind of rice. Like, it it could be like, I feel like that's really no, easy rice to eat. bloats you. So if you're trying to take this somewhere else, you're going to be all bloated. <laughs> Nothing's beat tacos yet, Linz. Come on. No. Um... I'm trying to think what else, like what other foods are Italian is out. Red sauce bad. No, I feel no, Italian's definitely the best. What? Pasta is so easy to eat. No, 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 no. And you can have like a glass of wine with dinner. Okay, I hardly And breadsticks. Breadsticks bloat you. Two, red <laughs> sauce, vodka sauce, alfredo sauce that all stains. All, every single every single. Don't wear white. I don't know what to tell you. And it'll stain anything. Vodka sauce is orange. Good thing I don't like vodka sauce. I'm glad you don't like vodka sauce, but (laughs) it'll get all over you. No, no, no. Italian is out. Also, spaghetti, bad. Who said you'd order spaghetti? There are six different kinds. Six. There are a billion different kinds of pasta styles. I completely disagree. So you're saying Italian is the best choice? Yes. You're wrong. Oh, my God. With, like, the the ambient music in the back playing... Um, Frank Sinatra, you know, and you're and you're having a glass of wine. The okay. mood is set, like the lights are dim. But I would say a margarita above. A margarita for a first date really take tequila takes the edge off. Okay, but there's more than a, a glass of white wine does. But there, okay, okay, a couple things. D- tequila 
makes me crazy. So, like, I don't know if I could do that on the first date, you know? One margarita. I'm not talking about smashing shots at the table. Well, that's what I was talking. No, I'm kidding. I wasn't talking about that. Like but. a good margarita saw on the rim. And if he also saw was all around that rim, 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 Trey, I was like, yo, Trey. Oh, did we recently become a rapping podcast? Yes, we did. Sorry. Um, <laughs> like a good margarita. They're drinking a good margarita. It sets the vibe. It makes you feel a little loose and less like uptight. And then like, oh, God, I just really disagree with you about Italian. I disagree with you about. Actually, think about a first date food you've been like a food first date you've been on and what you ate. I ate. What about pizza? How do we feel about pizza? Oh, absolutely. I feel like if it was a nice pizza place, like a good pizza place. Yes, like, like an artisanal like, pizza. Yeah, place. like thin crust pizza. You order like two pies because they're small and like thin, and you yes. I yes. feel like a good salad. I feel like that could be really no, good. Yes, but my only thing about salad is. Like, the greens get stuck in my teeth a lot. Oh, no, you're right. And I feel like the person I'm on a date with wouldn't be like, mm, by the way, front middle tooth. Mm. Do you tell people? My yeah, Yes. I always tell people. Always tell people. But, like, I don't know if I... On a date, maybe not. On a date, maybe not. You know, you have to see how it was going. I don't know. But I just feel like pizza's a good one because if you're getting, like, really good pizza, like, that's not, like, super messy if you want it to be, like uber bougie you could eat it with a knife and fork absolutely if you eat a fucking red fucking flag if you eat it with a knife and fork jesus but a lot of pizza places are byob so then you have to have the awkward conversation of who's byob oh that's a good question no but i feel like if i asked you out on a date and i knew it was byob i would just bring stuff anyway i'd be like by the way i'm bringing this bottle of Tequila. No, I'm bringing this well, bottle of wine. Would you ask them what they wanted to drink, or you'd just, like, yellow it and bring whatever? Oh. I think I'd yellow it and bring whatever. I feel like you can't really go wrong. I feel with like most people, like, a good bottle of wine. Like, it's fine. Are you red or white? White. Thank God. Okay. I, I don't know. Honestly, if someone brought red wine on a date, I'd probably vomit a little bit. No, a good red wine, if paired correctly with food. Mm. Oh, you have to pair it correctly. Oh, what about, like steak like what if you went to like a nice not like a steakhouse but like a nice restaurant where you ordered like a, like a nice see steak. i'm always gonna order fish over steak so like if like i'm at a nice like you know a nice really nice place i'll probably order like a salmon or like a white fish or something like that over a steak but i also think with steak there's like this pressure because steak's so expensive and you're like oh my god like Mm. Oh, that's so true i totally forgot about the price yeah because then i get stressed because i'm like this is a really nice restaurant and like I know it's nice. You know it's nice. Then we're going to have the weird dance about paying. When you pay, I'm going to be like, oh my God, that was a really expensive meal. Yes. So on the first date, <laughs> when you're looking at the menu, you know, we can disagree on what you're going to eat, but you're looking at the menu. Are you like very conscious of the prices? So the most conscious. Like sometimes, well, it depends, but sometimes I'm looking at the menu. I'm like, oh, I want that. I'm like, wow, that is the most fucking expensive thing on the menu. I'm getting something else. Like <laughs> backtrack, backtrack. Um, so you would get, like, something that cost less, that you wanted less in order to, like... Yes. I wouldn't get the cheapest thing on the menu, but I would get not the most expensive thing. Okay, that's very fair. That's very fair. Yeah. Would you not do the same? No, I would also... I'm, like, super conscious of yeah. it. The problem is that I like food so much, and then I'm like, oh, I want to eat the whole menu. And then, like, like last night I went to... Um, my mom and my sister came, and we went to dinner at Torre, and me and my I sister were, like, balling out. Like, we were like, Sarah was like, let's get it all. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, we got, like, two apps. And I was like, this is great. But on a date, you would never do that. Because no, it's like. literally never. Like, 
Oh, oh God. No, 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 go no. ahead. Go. And then thinking about like getting an appetizer on a date. Like, what if they don't like that, what you suggest? Like, there's a lot of stress. Right? Because what if you're like, I want fried calamari and they're like mm, I, don't. I don't eat calamari I don't eat calamari I don't eat fish well I eat fish but I don't eat calamari and that always throws people off like, what? it's the only does it like skeeve you out? the only see okay yes because <laughs> in high school I took like um like a media ethics class or something and it was like a little bit about like fake news and the way in which like and there was one article this was such a great class but there was one article that talked about how in certain parts of the country instead of like actual octopus they use Pig butthole as calamari. That's a lot. That's fake news. No, it's real news. No, no, it's real news. I'm not looking this up because I don't want to know. You don't want to look it up. Um, so it like really, I never ate calamari then, and now I really won't because I get too freaked out. But I also just like I'm not a huge fan of octopus, and like my favorite food is seafood pasta. But I would never like I won't eat calamari. Calamari is one of the few seafood that I would eat. Outlands, we clearly can never go to a seafood restaurant together. Well, we, I don't think we could go on a date together. <laughs> yeah, clearly. We can't agree on where we would go. Uh, no. Um, but yeah, if you have any thoughts on first date foods, if you've had any like disaster date foods, hit us up. I want to know, like, what's the worst date food? Okay, wait, really quick. What is the worst date food in your opinion? I... Mm. It's got to be something like stinky and messy. Like I, like I want to say a burger, but I feel like you could get a burger that's not awful, right? Well, because like the only reason the burger can be messy is because you have like bacon, barbecue sauce, frizzled onions on it. Wow, chicken that sounds... wings, chicken wings. Oh, I would that... never <laughs> eat chicken wings on a date ever. Sarah and I, my sister and I, got chicken wings the other day, like yesterday at dinner. I was like, I feel gross. And I'm in front of my family. Never, I would never eat chicken. Wings Wait, on a that's date. that's I I totally agree with you. Literally never. I think it would take a really long time in a relationship before I ate chicken wings. Yeah. <laughs> no, I no, I totally agree with you. I think. Right, well, what if they're bone boneless doesn't count. Boneless is a nugget. I hate when people call wings boneless. Yeah, because I'm that's like, chicken nuggets. You're eating chicken nuggets. Okay, glad we settled that. Um, all right, yeah. All right, hit us up. We want to know worst date foods, best date foods. We gotta know. We got, We must know for the future endeavors of Lindsay and Jess. <laughs> and next, we have our guest segment. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Olivia. <laughs> Hi, Olivia. Olivia is excited to be. Here. I think I've heard of you guys before. Or something. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like super cash. Like uh, we're only kind of friends. Only like uh, I would say acquaintances. Even I would say even that's a stretch. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well. All right. Guest Olivia, we don't really know. What is your topic? So my topic today is about HIV and AIDS in America. Um, I'm going to talk about some facts. I'm going to talk about some common misconceptions. I'm going to talk about stigma and the importance of education. This is really exciting because um, I don't really know anything. I mean, I did write a paper one time about this. I don't know why I didn't come to you about mm-hmm. HIV and AIDS. Um but I'm really excited because Liv has been to like a million conferences. She went to one in like Amsterdam. Yeah. Really cool. So I think, well, let's see. I think she's going to have a lot of interesting things to say. Thank you. Why did you pick this top, Liv? Yeah, so I actually, you know, didn't actually know anything really substantial about HIV and AIDS until my sophomore year of college when I became a research assistant for um, a professor who no longer works here, but Dr. Lechuga. And I and I was a research assistant for her for about a um, year and a half to two years. And her project, Project Encuentro, was based in the 
Mex- at the Mexican-American border between Juarez, Mexico, and El Paso, Texas. And it was about how HIV and AIDS is impacted there by a lot of different social factors and how like the social network uh, is impacted. Like The social network of individuals within these cities are impacted and the differences between El Paso, Texas, and uh, Juarez, Mexico. Um, as a result of that, like uh, as Lindsay mentioned, we got to go. I got to attend the International AIDS Conference in Amsterdam um, as a delegate presenter and then I was also a panelist speaker for youth investigators which is a really awesome experience um, and now I'm currently writing my honors thesis on HIV and AIDS and justice in America and uh, I'm really passionate about this topic for a lot of different reasons um, mostly because like not no like as big of a deal as it is no one actually knows a lot about it which is annoying right and I like I for one know that there are so many common stereotypes and misconceptions especially yeah. within like the gay community, yeah. For one, but um, yeah, I yeah, I mean, Jess and I are, don't really know too much about it. So. Yeah, and like whenever I like talk about like being an advocate for people with HIV, for people living with HIV and AIDS, everyone's always like, "Oh, Olivia!" Like, and they like whisper, ask me, like, "Do you have that?" I'm like, "Well, no." Like, you could still be passionate about something, and advocate for something, and like, like it's still like a really big deal that no one talks about, which is sad. And I wish more people weren't as afraid to be an advocate outspokenly. And I think it's important, especially as you're saying, to be an ally. Like we see that being an ally in multiple different, you know, for groups, for specific, you know, illnesses is so important. And I think I commend you for your work in, you. you know, in this area. And so I know you have some points, but like maybe we could start with some common misconceptions you see maybe in the yeah. college when you talk about it in a college setting, like what people kind of think about it and what what truth there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first the biggest misconception that I have come in contact with I actually like last semester took a politics of inequality class um, in which I got to interview a couple people um, and I got to really like quantify I mean I only interviewed 10 people because that's like all I had to interview for the class but uh, I got to quantify like the stigma like that people and like the education that people had about HIV needs and how that played a part in their stigma so the first biggest misconception is how HIV needs is transmitted so a lot of people think that it's transmitted through saliva, which newsflash, it's not. That was disproven. Um, let me check. <laughs> By September 9th, 1983, so that's two years after the epidemic outbreak in America, uh, the CDC ruled out saliva and had quantified all of the transmission routes. And yet today we have people who still believe that like you, could, um, you can't share a drink with someone who's living with HIV or AIDS or, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew that one. I'm surprised that that's still, like, as common as as it is. Yeah, that's a really, like, rampant misconception that a lot of people have. Um, Another really big misconception that I've come in contact with is, like, if you are straight, you can't get HIV and AIDS, (laughs) which is just wrong (laughs) in a lot of different ways because it's, like, transmitted through sex. So, like, Straight people, I assume, have sex. So, like, I mean, I don't. Who, who knows? Who knows? Really? What, really? Are the, what are the straights really doing? <laughs> and it's also like you know, injecting drugs and stuff. And like, straight people do that too. So, do you think that? Um, I guess it's a little bit off topic, but do you think that the? Do you think that the stereotype that gay people are the only ones to have HIV and AIDS makes it like doubly taboo? If you know yeah. what I'm trying to oh, say. Oh, it's well, okay, yeah. So in America, the like largest population that is like susceptible to HIV needs are low income Americans that live in the South. So, and that encompasses a lot of people who 
are like LGBTQ plus or they're low income, they have more like low income communities t- typically have higher drug rate issues. Um, and then also it's just a lot of low, like low income professions such as sex work, such as that's another thing. People say prostitution when that's not that's degrading. So let's all say sex work from now on. <laughs> yep. Steps <to> that. <laughs> um, so lots of professions like that are seen as like they're typically low, like someone coming from a low income household. Um, which is not always always the case, but, um, but yeah. So I definitely think that there's a higher stigma, and that's why I don't think there's a lot of uh, progressive and positive policy coming from the United States for it. Also, a lot of people think that America doesn't have an HIV and AIDS issue. Like, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> that's Well, I totally think that that is true. Like, I think there was a point where someone was like, yeah, isn't HIV only an issue in Africa? Yeah. And I was like, no. 1.1 million people in America are living with HIV and AIDS. That is a lot. And most of them don't know their HIV and AIDS status. So get the fuck tested. Oh, my God. That could be a whole <laughs> nother segment just about, like, STD tests. Like, all yeah. that shit. But, damn. I didn't realize it was that many. Yeah. Like, I knew it was a lot. But that's a that's a 1. lot. 1.1 million people. It's a lot more than people think. Yeah, 1.1 no. is a problem. <laughs> no, and I also think that just, like, in comparison to other diseases who probably have equally as many people in the United States having them, they're getting a lot more attention both in resources and like marketing and yeah. like, like for example, like at our college, we have two separate, very big charities that raise money for specific diseases. But we really, I don't know if there's any clubs that really cater to advocacy for HIV and AIDS. Well, actually, so dance marathon, hackathon, um, that actually uh, they have like a spotlight usually on Ryan white, who was one of the first like really publicized, um, people living with HIV and AIDS in America. Um, he was a teenager from, I believe it was Indiana, or it was an I, I state. Um, I don't know, but whatever. Anyway, so he was actually... Um, it was Indiana. I think I read that book in middle okay. school. Yeah, so he was actually banned from going to his school, um, and there was a court case involved, and I think he ended up going, but unfortunately he passed away when he was really, really young, like around our age, which is um, really sad, but I think he... I think Dance Marathon is like, started in, like, his way... like. He played a really big role in it, is what I'm trying to say. I don't exactly know how, but I know that that's he plays a role. He played a role in the start of that. Um, why don't you? I think it would be interesting to let our listeners know. You mentioned testing, so how do you know how HIV and AIDS testing works? Like, how like lo- far along do you need to be to test positively? I actually don't. Uh, I'm not sure how far along you have to be to test positively. I, I think it's pretty, pretty consistent because it's about like your. It's a certain like cell like the percentage of a certain cell in your blood um they're actually in bethlehem there's a lot of free testing um clinics around very very close to campus um the center for gender equity just did free hiv testing um and then yeah there's a a couple different places around campus is that like a shot why did i say shot that's like a vaccine i'm an idiot like (laughs) drawing blood Um, so there's actually a bunch of different ways to test for HIV needs. I would like the most common way is to take blood, and that's like typically what people will do, especially for like clinics and stuff. But uh, there's a urine test, oral test, but uh, taking blood is the most. So uh, you mentioned two misconceptions so far. What other ones? Did you oh. have any other misconceptions you wanted to share? Oh, uh, I guess like HIV needs has a really negative connotation. Um, 
like I remember when I did my research for last year, I asked people like, what are five words you associate with HIV or AIDS? And most of the time it was like, your life is over, you're dying, like that's it. But actually a lot of people don't know that there's medications now that you can take um, and it prolong, like the more aggressively and more quickly you take your medication and like, you know, it's kind of like a birth control situation. You take it every day at 4 p.m. or something like that. Um, but when you take your medication daily and you're on your shit, basically, um, you're undetectable and untransmittable. So that means like when you go and get tested, you're undetectable because you're, the medication will actually keep your uh, like whatever cell that is so low. And then you're also untransmittable. So if you have um, unprotected sex, your partner wouldn't get it. Although like you should definitely be having protected sex, but that's a different story. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the medication did that. Honestly, yeah. I, yeah, I guess I don't really know what I thought, but yeah, it's called prep. Um, pre rectofluoraxis, something like that, but it's called prep. Uh, it's an antiretroviral uh, medication, so it suppresses the kind of effect that HIV and, HIV and AIDS has on the human body. And yeah, you're undetectable and untransmittable, which a lot of people don't know. So. A lot of people said when I did my research um, that they would never be in a relationship with someone who has HIV or AIDS uh, because they would get it. That's not true. If they take their medication every day, like a, like a birth control pill, then, you know, you're, they're, you can't transmit it. The more you know. Yeah, seriously, I'm learning a lot. So I know you had some thoughts on policy, like government policy yeah. involving HIV and AIDS. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people don't realize that the like HIV and AIDS is impacted by so many different policies and so many different um, kind of sectors of government. So like reproductive rights, even though like it's usually thought of for just women, like that still impacts people who are living with HIV or AIDS. Um, healthcare laws affect people who are living with HIV and AIDS. So the Affordable Care Act did help in some way for like lowering the cost of prescription drugs. However, it's a chronic illness and it's still a high cost that people will incur and most of the people who are affected by HIV needs are low income. So it's still like we're still on, their, on our way there. Um, also, LGBTQ rights, that definitely impacts HIV needs. People who, uh, people of color, any laws affecting people of color will be affected. Uh, HIV needs will be affected. Um, people who inject drugs. So a lot of countries um, besides the U.S. have adopted needle exchange programs and they've seen. So that's basically uh, you go like it's a place to drop off dirty needles and get new ones. So even though like you're injecting drugs and that's probably not the best for your health, like you could still do that in a safer way and reduce your chance of uh, contracting HIV or AIDS or passing it on to somebody else. Um, but the U.S. does not have that policy. Actually, uh, when I worked for Dr. Lechuga, I, I would read a lot of interviews and reports how like the police officers would stand on the corners outside of the clinics that would give out like these clean needles or condoms or all that good stuff and they'd arrest the people coming out of them because they had needles on them and needles are considered a weapon um or like needles were not illegal something like that um and they'd get arrested so like how you know that's so discouraging you know even if you're not with living with hiv needs like that's so discouraging to be arrested for trying to protect your health yeah, that's kind of fucked, uh, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> um, I I have a question. It's a little late in the game, um, but could you like explain the difference between HIV AIDS if there is one? Is it the same thing? Like, is I feel like that's a common misconception yeah. as well. Okay, yeah. yeah. So HIV is the pre preliminary stage of AIDS. So it, HIV progresses into AIDS. Um, and there's no known cure yet. 
but there's actually lots of progress has been made. Um, so John Hopkins just had the first live HIV positive um, donor to HIV positive recipient for, um, I believe it was a kidney transplant, which was a big deal. And then we also have been doing, not we, we like I am not the we, <laughs> the collective we of America um, has been, uh, we did a bone marrow transplant for somebody who living with HIV needs and they were uh, they weren't detectable without taking any medication, so that's good. I haven't like looked up what's happened since then. I haven't heard much, but um, I guess that's a good thing if I haven't heard much. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was helpful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, essentially, it's the same disease. It's just one progresses into the other, so that's why they're kind of used synonymously. Or like, I'll say HIV and AIDS positive. Like, it's just an inclusive, I guess, of both people living with both. Oh, interesting. I'm so interested in this whole topic. Yeah. Um, moving forward, so I know you have future ambitions to go to law school. Um, do you want any of your future law career to, you know, be involved in HIV and AIDS or policymaking? Or- yeah. So I, for the first stage of my career, I, I don't want to focus on that part um, because I'm doing a lot of work now um, for HIV and AIDS policy. So, and I want to kind of take the, my, my dream, my dream position does not include this. Um, it's interesting and I love researching it and I love being an advocate and I love being vocal about it and learning about it, learning about it more. Um, but I think in the future I would definitely go into discrimination lawsuits and um, not just for HIV needs, but for women or people of color or something like that. Oh, interesting. Would you ever like, you know, continuing working? Like, would you do more research on like this side, I guess? Do you notice, like, would you continue your passion about this? Yeah, like, I will never stop looking into this. Um, And I actually plan on submitting my thesis to the International AIDS Conference for this coming summer. So I'm hopeful that that will go well. (laughs) And Um, you got to go back. Well, it would be in San Francisco, but close enough. (laughs) okay. Well, that's that's still a cool place. Yeah, so I'm hopeful about that. Will Prince Harry be there again? I hope so. That's a funny story. When I got turned away by security to see Prince Harry, but whatever. (laughs) I, like, vaguely remember you telling me this. Do you want me to talk about it? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Prince Harry, uh, Princess Diana, like really led the way with a lot of HIV and AIDS foundations. And um, she was actually one of the first uh, people who was like photographed hugging and shaking hands with people living with HIV and AIDS, which at the time was a big taboo because people thought you could just get it by like, you know, exchanging air. Right. Which is, uh, I'm sorry, that's crazy. Yeah, like no, the first awesome. person photographed like touching. I don't know if she was the first, but she was like definitely a big deal. Yeah. But like just touching another human being. Mm-hmm. Like that's crazy. Right. And that was also many years after uh, the CDC like gave out all the transmission information. So it was very clear that you could not get HIV from giving somebody a high five. And so it was just like really interesting to see that. So uh, Prince Harry has done a lot of work continuing that. He has his own foundation for kids in Africa, which has been really successful. Um, And he was attending the HIV, uh, the International AIDS Conference in Amsterdam. And, you know, I wasn't going to pass up an opportunity to not see Prince Harry. So I was kind of just like walking around when I had some free time, like for my lunch break or whatever, looking, looking to see like some heavily secure security areas. And I found one and I tried, you know, playing stupid cute girl. And I was like, oh, I'm just looking for the bathroom. And he was like, no, like, <laughs> turn around. And I was like, are you sure? Like, I think it's this way. And he was like, no. And I was like, OK. <laughs> then I got to see him speak at him and Elton John. Um, spoke later on in Charlize Theron. It was a really cool thing. Oh, Elton John spoke? Elton John spoke. He was really awesome. I miss Bill Clinton, though. That was my, my gal. Oh, yeah. bummer. Yeah. Okay, I've, I thought of another question. Yeah. So, uh, you know, health, 
education, sex education in America is a very um, highly debated topic. Yes. Um, so do you believe that there should be comprehensive HIV and AIDS education? Yes, because clearly someone is failing someone when people don't know that saliva is not how you get HIV and AIDS. You cannot get HIV and AIDS from sharing a drink with someone. You cannot get HIV and AIDS from going to the gym with someone, sharing a bathroom, sharing a bedroom, wearing the same shirt. Like, I don't know, like... Stupid shit like that. People, it's a part of my French, but people don't know that you can't get HIV and AIDS from that. It's ridiculous. So clearly, the public health and private. I went to Catholic high school. So did you go to? You went to? I went. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Abstinence only is not good enough. Yo, straight up, like that is not like natural family planning. Like that is not like. Oh my god, people are having sex. Like mm-hmm. it's it's happening whether or not you and, like, want it to happen. Want to believe that yeah. it's happening, and it should be like. Okay, if, even still, if you want to teach abstinence only, whatever, like, my high school discouraged, like, con- like put down the use of condoms because condoms aren't reliable or, like, the use of birth control and stuff like that. But, like, that discouragement for teens is, like, so bad because then these people are having sex without condoms. Right. And then you have, like, such a negative uh, kind of connotation of sex. Like, oh, right. I'm going to get pregnant or, oh, I'm going to get... AIDS or right. oh I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get all these diseases or whatever um, but that's what they, didn't they say that in the 80s when they found like when the out, the HIV outbreak happened and mm-hmm. all these it, it, it was gay men it was all these like gay men were were uh, contracting HIV and they were just like stop having sex yeah so and I was like mm-hmm. a lot of the rhetoric from like different presidents at the time of the outbreak or other leading political officials was really, really sad to see. Um, my research for my thesis includes kind of analyzing a bunch of different speeches from all of the presidents who have been in office since the outbreak um, and analyzing the rhetoric that they use when talking about HIV and AIDS. And let me tell you, the homeboys from the 80s were not that great with it. They just kind of were like, it's a lifestyle choice. Like, you kind of just chose this path. So, this is, you just got to rock with it, basically. Yeah. Uh- and I was like, um, that's just simply not right. Like, that's wrong. That is so not it. And even the doctors, too, at that time, they were like, stop yeah. having sex. Like, Yeah, there are a lot of different, um, like, a couple of wards that were specific to, like, they were all, so, okay, so there are a couple of really famous, like, hospital wards that kind of closed their doors and took in people living with AIDS and, well, at the time, like, dying from HIV and AIDS. And they were all volunteer-based, so they weren't getting paid. Everyone from the janitors to the nurses to the doctors, because... Like, people living with it weren't getting the help that they needed, and they just kind of operated in that way, which was really... Right, which is also kind of, like, dangerous, too. Yeah, no, it is, because it, 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 in my opinion, like, not helping the situation, like, just perpetuates it more, and not... If we had taken the active steps that a lot of activists are taking now, or if, like, you know, politicians maybe, like, listened, then mm. we would be in a lot better situation. Politicians um, listening. Yeah, wild, wild concept. Anyway. What's really interesting is uh, the most recent State of the Union address, Donald Trump promised to um, eradicate and end HIV and AIDS. And I, be- I believe it was 2020, but I also read that it could have been 2023. Regardless, it's not going to go well because his reproductive rights policies and like a bunch of other policies that he's coming out with um, are actually taking us backwards. So like the reproductive rights are kind of like the biggest deal right now because a lot of the Planned Parenthoods are closing and stuff. And even though, like, a lot of people have the idea that Planned Parenthoods are just for abortions, they actually do a lot more than that. They provide free HIV needs testing. They provide preventive materials. They provide education. Um, 
materials for them to, you know, get the medical care that they need, the medications, stuff like that. And which is really sad because, you know, that's, that was such a hidden loss of all of these reproductive rights battles. And it's still just not where it should be, which is why we actually have seen a plateau in the amount of HIV and AIDS rates in America, as opposed to a, uh, continuing the decrease decrease that we've had over the last couple of decades we are kind of plateaued now because people who need the preventative materials aren't getting it so in terms of like a takeaway what do you want people what should listeners do or what should they take away from this because you just said it plateaued which made me really sad like yeah. so how do we move back towards a decrease you know right. whether that's from a policymaker perspective from our audience perspective how can an individual impact this yeah so i think you know i okay so i also am pretty progressive but i believe that there is a definite need for policy, you can't just expect change without backup from the government. There needs to be cheaper access to pharmaceutical drugs, more access to preventative care. Um, there's another thing, too. Needle exchange centers. A lot of countries who have adopted needle exchange centers have noticed a reduction in HIV needs rates, uh, diagnosis rates. Um, legalizing sex work is also a really good way to ensure that, too, because it, like sex work is, when it's illegal, it's so under the table and it's women are exploited and there's, you know, not a requirement to have safe sex and there's not a requirement to, like, know your status, stuff like that, which, because of the exploitation that women have, like, they're really susceptible to HIV needs. And so, legal, like, you know, I've, you know, I went to Amsterdam, legalizing sex work really improved that because they're regulated. They, they're, they have, like, a solid wage. They have to use, like, safe sex. They um, will have to have safe sex and, like, get tested regularly and all that stuff, which, you know, is only positive. I know legalizing um, sex work is a very radical idea, but yeah, prob- probably a little ways to come for for us <laughs> yeah. as a country. <laughs> also, improving education is one of the best things you could do because, like, there are countries around the world, like, uh, like Costa Rica, like eighteen percent of their country like has a pot, like has a decent education on HIV needs, which is like. I, I could be wrong with that statistic, but I just wrote something about it. But yeah, it's very, very low. Um, and then, like, another takeaway, I really can't stand if people say things like, oh, like, that gave me AIDS. Like, no. I hate that. Yeah. I'm like, no, it didn't. Yeah. So, like, that, the importance don't say that. of language, yeah. the importance of thinking about how your language impacts another person. And also, ask your partners when the last time they got tested was, and have safe sex, and get the fuck tested and know your status. It's not that big of a deal. Like, come on. It's not. And it's and it's not awkward. I mean, it can be awkward, but, like, it's so important it to be. ask. It's so important to just ask, especially if, like, this like, a new partner that you've been seeing, you know. Like, yeah, and if they think it's weird, then bye. Get, bye. Then, yeah. Uh, you ain't getting this dick. Yeah, that Mood. too. That too. <laughs> well, Olivia, thank you for sharing something you are open about. Yeah, I'm. You. I really did learn a lot. But I'm now so I'm, happy to. I'm so happy to teach you. And now I want to know what something you are working on being more open about. Oh. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Um. I don't know. I'm a lot more open about my mental health than I have been ever. And even though I'm not open about my mental health ever, but like, I'm a lot more than I used to be. I guess working on it good for you thanks yeah proud of you thank you yeah well thank you so much for coming we appreciate it thanks for having me you're the bomb.com well (laughs) (laughs) and that's it for this episode of sorry we're open thanks so much for listening we hope that next week we sound less like eighth grade soundcloud rappers i i don't get it
What do you mean? Or did you really not have the kids in middle school who like had SoundClouds? No. We had like BTE. They were like, excuse me. <laughs> they were a group. BTE. It stand. Oh, wait, can I guess what it stands for? What? Break these eggs. No. Okay. <laughs> it was Big Titty Energy. Uh, in eighth grade, yep, you yeah. followed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eighth grade, okay. And they produced like bangers where they like literally like rapped about people in our middle school. And then we also had BOE in um, high school. Big, I don't know what it stood for. Oh fuck, something, something energy. Big something energy. I don't know what it <laughs> was. And they rapped about our high school. It was like a whole shenanigans. But we had a lot of eighth grade SoundCloud rappers. No, I literally cannot. Re- Were they like? Mostly guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I went to an all girls school, <laughs> so there was there was no Catholic school girl rap album. No, 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 no. We just had um Ask FM. Ask FM was the worst thing ever. <laughs> we had to have a meeting about it in seventh grade because people were like bullying people and Form Spring too. Did you ever have Form oh, Spring? So bad. We should do a segment on this shit for middle school. Oh my. <laughs> Stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned. It's coming. Wow, we just stumbled upon gold. All right. Well. As you for per usual, follow us on the Insta at Sarbroven Podcast. Um, we're really the podcast is about to be a teenager, honestly. It's a well, big deal. Is, is it gonna get an attitude too? Mm, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hit our line if you have questions, comments, concerns, conspiracy theories. Oh, that was a new one. I love that one. And um if you want to be a guest, we We encourage that. We love that. Um, but that's it. All right. Thanks everybody.